0: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash
1: Wondery. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar.
0: I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe.
1: This week, we are celebrating our 200th episode. Can you believe it, Sherlyn? I'm old. Yeah, we've rebooted the Engadget Podcast. This is, I think, the actual third iteration of the podcast, but we've hit 200 episodes. That's a pretty big milestone. So we will be talking about some of the, you know, some of the notable guests we've had on, some of the topics that have changed a lot since we launched. In uh, Yeah, we'll look back. That was fall 2019, the last good times before pandemic life. So a lot has changed since we started this podcast. But uh, I do want to say it's been a lot of fun with Sherlyn, our producer, Ben, and all the guests we've had on. Also with you, audience. So thank you all so much for joining us. And, uh, and for the folks who joined us for the live streams when we had those, uh, still looking into bringing those back. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, and drop us an email at podcastinggadget.com. Okay, Sherlyn, to celebrate our 200th episode, we're also bringing on Ingadget senior writer, Sam Rutherford. Hey, Sam. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Also joining us today is podcast producer, Ben Elman. Hey, Ben. Hey, always glad to be here. I think we've had a lot of fun conversations with you, Sam. So you're you're a good addition to this whole conversation.
0: Were you ever a fan of the Engadget podcast before you joined Engadget, <laughs> whatever iteration it We're was? Really in. putting
1: him on the spot, Trillen. Wow. I I would tune in
2: every once in a while. Like I only have space in my life for a certain amount of podcasts, and for me, a lot of times, like podcasts are like that's when I use like checking on like basketball or like other stuff. But because I've known, like you know, I've seen you guys around so long, and I've like you know, familiar with so many people that we see in every day. They're like, hey, you guys, tell me this. Like, you're gonna have a good episode. Yeah, I'll be on. You tell me, Fisher's gonna, you know, you're gonna be on. Yeah, yeah, I'll tune, in, I'll tune in for those
1: there's only so much rehashing that like I think everybody wants to do so it's like especially if you're in the industry there's only so much you can like keep hearing over and over again I do not blame anybody like in my real life for, for not actually listening to the podcast my wife doesn't listen to the thousands of podcasts I've made uh for a very long time you know it's a it's a thing but the fans the true fans are right here with us and uh yeah, my favorites they are your favorites we we started this podcast um or this iteration of the Engadget podcast. In fall of 2019, um, right after some major Microsoft news, I believe, and a lot has changed since then, but we wanted to highlight um, some of the big things that I think has changed a lot because it's not just the pandemic. It is like tech itself has kind of reformed itself, right, Sherlyn?
0: I, want, I wanted to say before, before we get into like, you know, recapping how much has changed and everything, can we just like I have these like almost... Traumatic flashbacks to the first episode recording because I was in, I was traveling. I think I was at like Google I/O or something, or for Microsoft. I can't remember what I was traveling traveling for, but I was in a hotel, and I remember the recording that I sent over to Ben eventually somehow was not coming from the mic that I had connected. So that very first episode we put out just sounded awful on my end, and I you caught so much zero. for it. Episode zero, from you know, like yeah, it's- it wasn't like the real episode, probably. But uh, I never made that mistake again, so. Yeah, there's a lot, like, if you look back on the years since we first launched or relaunched this version of the podcast, there's a lot that happened. But I think we've, can we we've, like, agreed on a few themes. And I think at the top of everyone's mind is for sure AI, and like I said, generative AI more than anything, uh, it has really kind of made its way into the mainstream conversation. Uh, Dev, you've been covering it, at least from the Microsoft side of things. Uh, Do you want to, like, Talk about some of your biggest takeaways. For
1: sure. I mean, you were also there, when You were at the Bing chat launch, you know. That was the big thing, though. That was, like, the tipping point where everyone was like, oh, we were seeing stuff from ChatGPT. We were hearing about OpenAI for years. Then Microsoft was like, hey, uh, we're going to make Bing useful. And everybody suddenly started paying attention. Um, and we were also like, Bing? Bing of all things? Um, but, yeah, that, that kind of marked Microsoft's big... Um, I don't know, a march towards integrating AI everywhere. They had already launched a Copilot for um, some of their coding stuff, some of their, de- their developer tools before this. Um, but now we are at a point where Copilot, uh, they have launched Copilots for Office 365, um, you know, for all sorts of stuff. They were going to launch a standard just Windows Copilot. Now it's just all kind of unified as Copilot, which is a new feature in Windows 11, uh, that lets you tap into all the stuff you were going to do with Bing Chat. So you can ask it queries. You can have it summarize a web page or summarize a document or something. It is now built into Windows and Microsoft is now leaning on it. I feel it's like the main thing, you know, for Windows. Like it is, You don't normally see Microsoft, of all companies, make a big leap and just like, oh, we're abandoning the way you normally use a computer. And uh, here's this new thing. And we have spent over $10 billion investing in it. Please, uh, Please like it. Please use it. I think it's a little desperate. I think it's a little weird. Um, And as we've talked about on this show, I think it reminds me of when Microsoft was like, uh, they looked around, they saw the iPad was becoming a big thing and they were like, okay, okay. uh, Windows is now a tablet operating system. The start menu is dead. Here is the start page. And everybody went, boo. You know, just like a wholesale rejection of that idea. And they had to like really back away from that. They can't really back away from the AI stuff because they have spent so much money on it. It is now going to be a core part of Windows, um, you know, Windows 11. There are rumors that Windows 12, whatever that looks like, could actually be launching in the middle of next year. And I assume that's going to have even more AI integration. So, you know, yeah, we are we. Everything is AI now, but I think for Microsoft, more than any other company, especially after Nadella had to jump in after all the Open AI stuff. It's it's such a big deal. It's kind of astounding. Like Microsoft is fundamentally an AI software company now.
0: I don't know that. Like years ago, I would have been like, "Yeah, Microsoft is an AI company." I tell, I can say that. Like Google, for sure. I'm not surprised. It's an AI company. I'm sure that like, and I think they have the prowess to. But I still don't think, for me anyway, that like AI the way it's taken off this year has really featured that heavily in my life. I mean, Sam, I feel like you and I are a lot more similar in that our lives are more gadget oriented than software focused. Has AI featured heavily in your life lately?
2: not so much um and and then that's kind of thing is that like we're in this weird nebulous period where like people talk a big game about ai but how much do you actually use it in your life and the, the big the, the really big struggle is figuring out what might actually be useful that ai can do that you want to use and so like you know for me that the, the first time i was like really opened my eyes like you know going past like you know google assistant from which has been out for a while was, like, really this year on the Pixel 8 where they have the Magic Editor because it made just editing photos on my phone a lot easier and more powerful than I was ever, like, you know, expecting it to be. And that's, like, one very small, tangible example, but, like, people talk so much about AI and what it can do, and it's, like, we're still at that point where it's, like, you know, you... It's like more of an idea. It's like having like a weak brainstorming friend than like having something that can actually do tangible things for you on an everyday I, basis. I still
1: like asking for like spec comparisons, even though I still have to go and double check them. But if I'm like, give me a table of the Galaxy S twenty three versus the twenty two, just so I can like look at it real quickly. That is helpful, even though it takes a little while for it to generate it. It's also worth pointing out like our the gadgets we review, the gadgets we talk about have all been like leaning into AI for a while, all the Google like photo stuff, all their night photography stuff, like those are leaning on computer vision and AI in different ways. But now it's just like it's a thing, it's a like a search bar where you can actually talk to AI and use it in in like a direct way and that is the very new thing. And you can have it create images. Yeah.
0: I agree that the generative aspect of it makes AI seem a little bit more like what people imagine AI to be. Whereas like AI before generative AI, to me, was just algorithms. To me, it was just like, oh, predicting what you might do and then doing it before you like a little bit more like just predictive algorithms whereas like generative ai seems a bit more like making. and uh, to be clear too i think for the three of us and i've said this in previous episodes too like for the, the three of us specifically being writers ourselves we don't rely on things like chat gpt as much to like come up with emails for us come up with like essays for us but other people for whom like writing is a big part of their jobs but they don't like it as much they have i think started to rely so much more on they chat
2: didn't choose this AI.
3: life we did
2: To your point, like I think, you know, if you're like a kid in school and like, you know, say you have to come up with a project where you're talking about, oh, describe like your perfect day and you want some imagery to like put on a poster board. If you're asking AI to like, hey, make, you know, paint me a picture of a sunny day with clouds and like a nice field and you don't, you you know, you're eight years old or nine years old and you can't draw that well. Suddenly, like, you know, that could be a really interesting application. But once again, you know, we're talking about a children's, you know, school project, not something that's going to
1: necessarily change the world on a grand scale. And this is where I start to get worried, too, because as we lean into AI to do these things that we are not maybe just not very good at, if you're not good at um, writing long emails or documents or something, it can be helpful. But at the same time, you get good at things that you're not good at by doing them. And if you're, like, tapping into the AI to do all this stuff, like, or we – is this just, like, we're going to have a whole generation of folks who can't actually – aren't actually building that writing muscle in their brains because they're just leaning on the AI for all that stuff? I think that's fundamentally more harmful than, like, okay, calculators are a thing and people aren't doing more math in their heads. But I also think being able to construct sentences and ideas are, is a little more – you need to use that every day. You need to like sit down and like collect your ideas and communicate them to people properly. Um I'm that's my worry, but I guess we'll see what happens, you know. It's just one of those things I'm terrified of.
0: I think one thing I was not expecting to see, I don't think I expected generative AI at all. When like thinking back to that traumatic incident where I was recording our first episode, right? But like, I wasn't expecting generative AI, but I all the more was not expecting. You could enter a prompt and have an image generated that would have like 17 fingers and like 300 teeth. You know what I mean? Like just that sort of weird, weird imagery coming out of AI was just funny and unexpected for me. But I can also see like maybe another 200 episodes down the road where like AI has become so much better that like it is it is so important to talk about like you know AI ethics and how we like properly labeling images generated by AI and that is a beginning conversation right now I'd be curious to see like another 100 or 200 episodes down like I mean, that's
3: already happening. Like, I saw a bunch of pictures on Instagram of Steve Harvey as the singer of a hardcore punk band, and he didn't have 17 fingers. It looked like a surprisingly good image, and I think that's going to be where a lot of the societal impact from generative AI is going to come, we are such a visual society that eventually some AI-generated image is going to break through, people are going to think that it's real, and we're going to have to deal with the fallout from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that serious, but there's that image of the Pope, remember, when he was like blinged out wearing that that awesome jacket, and it's like, yo, Pope's outfit is looking pretty fly right now, and it's like, oh, okay, it just turns out AI was messing with us.
1: My other worry is video, because we're just talking about images, but we are seeing The deepfakes are going to be bad. We're also just seeing demos of AI, uh, generative AI video solutions right now. And it's it's a little scary because it's looking real. And at the same time, like all the stuff, we don't know where it's getting the source material from too. So I I think we really have to shift the conversation away from being like generative AI being this magic box that can produce anything you want to being like, it is remixing all the information it has illegally absorbed. You know, it has absorbed copyright information, stuff from artists didn't have to pay a dime. Like these companies didn't have to pay for that, but now open AI can charge you a monthly fee to get higher levels of chat Um it's weird to get like material that's basically been chewed up and then spit back out at you. And now you're paying for the privilege of getting it because it looks nice, you know? I think we really need to think about that. We're gonna keep talking about the AI stuff, folks, but I feel like we have to hit another one of these big ones. Like Sherlin, Sam, anything you want to call out? Because there are a couple big topics that have certainly changed a lot.
2: I have a couple small, small topics. One is uh, we and we don't talk about cryptocurrency a lot, and not that we should. But if if you look at back, the price of Bitcoin in 2019 was three thousand dollars, and as you know, as we're talking right now, Bitcoin's kind of in a a run up back to you know it's at what forty thousand right now, and you know that's still down from an all time high of sixty. But I think this is one of those things that like I honestly have no idea where it's gonna go or what the trajectory for crypto is in general, and that's one of those things and then as a tangent to that nfts were not a thing four years ago really that people talked about still not a thing but they had you know they had this one hype moment you know not that long ago and then it disappeared and who, who knows where that's going to
1: i, I think if we're going to pat ourselves on the back just a little bit i do think it is important in the tech industry is to like look at something and be like you have no clothes on whatever whatever you are whatever people are selling to make money is like I clearly you're not providing value. So we we never really covered NFTs much until like there were some big crashes. We never really spent much attention on Web three stuff because I saw a lot of that stuff as like marketing garbage from people who are trying to make money and not actually produce anything of value. But go ahead, sure.
0: To be clear, Engadget did cover some NFT stuff, but we always did so with like a healthy dose of skepticism. Like incredibly, like oh look at this. Uh, what was that website that dropped uh, NFTs? Not StockX. Was it StockX?
2: Oh, OpenSea.
0: Yeah, all the Nike, all the like NBA tie-ins. A lot of breathless reporting around like how awesome this was all going to be. And we're like, no, this is dumb. And thank God we were right. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> if we God. were wrong, though.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I, I had full faith that those, you know, those freaking Bored Apes, uh, we are now in a world where the Bored Apes people have lost a lot of money, um, millions of dollars, it seems. But also there was a Bored Apes event recently. And uh, a lot of people were, I feel bad because a lot of people were apparently slightly blinded at the event because they use like uv lights uh like cleaning lights for the stage like sanitizing lights and uh you're not supposed to look at those folks so they they had some vision problems the next day but i don't know there's a metaphor in there somewhere
3: there's so much about like the crypto nft space that feels like the that quote from firefest let's just do it and be legends
0: I feel like there's a theme, and I want to touch on it, but I want to also just hear because Sam, you you said crypto and NFTs were like what well, your one thing, and but they were part of like a couple of things you had thought about. Do you want to go ahead first before? Oh I- no,
2: they're just kind of a joint. You know, those two two things are kind of linked, and they're you know, to me they're just like in a space where I have literally no idea what could happen with the future of Bitcoin and crypto in general, and you know, in in theory there is something to like the idea of like hey, you have digital ownership of a certain piece of art like an NFT, but the, the way it was handled, like Davinder said, it was just like it, it felt exploitive and uh, it, didn't, it didn't make sense in the way that people were talking about it.
1: It was exactly the way rich people think of art and weirdly enough the movie tenet kind of uh kind of explored some of that it's like art is never something rich people look at in terms of like aesthetics uh they buy it because it can be worth more you spend you know a million dollars on a painting because you hope it's worth 10 million dollars in a couple of years but not, they'll store it somewhere and never like actually look at it and that that was immediately the market that's being shaped up by nft stuff and then literally jpegs and stuff of no value so Anyway, do we have anything else to say on these things? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it wraps up very nicely in this thing I was thinking about, which is it falls under a theme of how, in the last few years since we relaunched, um, I've seen this sort of recurring. Instances or, or, or like pattern of people just taking something, running extremely wild with no checks and balances, and then getting in trouble. So we've got like yeah NFTs or whatever, and these events. And then was it which was that bank, the Silicon Valley Bank, that was just like yeah,
1: that was that was a whole wasn't it just thing. people who that were was, running yeah, around with no adults bad. in
0: the room? Wasn't that I just felt like no. Uh, yeah, but I've, I, mean, I feel like no adults in the room was a theme that kept recurring in the last few years. So I was like, oh, yeah, of course this didn't go anywhere. You are dumb.
1: Did, did it start with Facebook? Like, did it start with, like, the all, like, look look at these young geniuses. Let's let them do whatever they want. Uh, doesn't matter if their businesses aren't turning a profit. We're like, right, like, investors will give them money to hopefully get a 10x or more return in, in a couple of years. And, yeah, it's all kind of falling apart right now, so –
0: um, really quick shout out to, to Zuckerberg, who in the last few years seems to have grown up a little bit too. So
1: I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. He don't seems know like true. yeah. I, I think so like, who knows. We we can have a whole separate episode about this. <laughs> I think he has gotten a really good. Um, he feels better himself. Like he feels better about himself, uh, attitude wise. I think he may have a life coach. He may have uh, getting more like um, help in general in terms of seeing perspective. But I think also a lot of that comes from dismissing all the bad stuff he has done and just like moving forward and being like we talked about this um he's very into uh fun let's let's just have fun guys let's um let's not think about the the influences and who's fun and, I think that's and who's
3: like, fun is stepping on who else's toes
1: right now his fun is like i think generally fun like when he's talked about some of the meta stuff and it's like yeah well, he's building a world where we can all have more fun and have a good time but it's also a weird pitch when he Facebook itself is the cause of, like, uh, democracy being destabilized in several countries. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's deeply annoying. But clearly Zuckerberg has gotten a lot of, like, I don't know, his perspective just seems a lot brighter. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, Sherlyn and Sam, you guys are actually the perfect ones for this, is foldables. We were talking so much about foldable phones when we started the podcast. I was skeptical then. I'm a little less skeptical now, but certainly not not to the point where I kind of want to run out and get one. But how do you guys think that foldable market has uh, has gone? Because I think we launched like when the first Galaxy Fold, so, something around the first Galaxy Fold launch, something was happening.
0: I almost think that back in 2019, we were like seeing the prototypes. Sam will know better. Sam, even like you're you main the the foldable phone. You should tell us more about this.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, that the original Galaxy Fold came out in 2019, and so you know it's been.
1: Yeah, I'm looking it up. September twenty, September six, 2019. That's the first Galaxy Fold. And so,
2: yeah. I think, as someone who's excited by you know flexible display technology, um, there's there's like two two ways of looking at it, right? There's the people think that every phone is going to be flexible at some point, point. and I, I I've never I've never been of that mindset, but you know I think just from my perspective, you know, I go outside and I notice that, like, I just see more people with foldable phones now. Like, when I went to the auto show in the spring, one of the people who was, like, you know, handing out badges, she had a foldable phone. Uh, I had a plumber come by and fix a, a pipe in my house. That guy had a foldable phone. And so we're seeing not just like, you know, weird nerds like us have foldable phones. We're seeing them, like, just regular people have these devices. Speak for yourself, Sam. Yeah, Uh, and and so, like like I said, I don't think, you know, foldable phones, at least in the near term, are going to be the dominant uh, market for uh, smartphones or whatever, or tablets for that matter. But, you know, seeing that, like, hey, maybe 5%, 10%, and maybe eventually we settle on something like 25% of the market will be foldable devices. I think we're just kind of seeing that slow progression and it, it is definitely uh like you know a maturation process. It's not just like an overnight switch and that was never going to happen.
1: Well I mean when we launched so let's just like flash back a little bit. That first Galaxy Fold was a disaster, like an absolute disaster and we were basically starting the podcast like when that was all launching as like that thing was a beta product. It was very expensive. The screen could peel off easily because people thought yeah that Top layer was just a screen protector and it wasn't um dust was getting trapped in. Like it didn't Samsung it, it took like six months for the second galaxy fold to hit because they immediately wanted to get that first one off the market. Um I'm right there with you, Sam. Like I see I'm, I'm in New York right now doing some meetings for CES, hanging out with Sam and Sherlene. Um, and when I'm on the train, I see people with foldables and I see people watching movies and doing big screen stuff, but I also see like I saw somebody watching like a really nice looking movie. And on their foldable, just that crease in the middle of the screen, just ripping through the entire thing, I'm like, that, that, it works, but it also reminds me, we have a long way to go before the stuff is, like, perfect.
2: As kind of a, kind of tangent to that, uh, I think one thing that, like, I maybe, I'm not gonna say it was, like, necessarily wrong about, but I think the trajectory never got anywhere where I expected was, uh, dual-screen phones, aka, you know, most notably the Surface Duo. Um, and it's weird because I've been seeing the Surface Duo in, like, a couple shows that I've been watching recently. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But I think there's still potential in the idea, but I think the initial launch of some of those devices was just so rocky that it kind of doomed that kind of idea uh, from the start. And
1: that's always been a little disappointing. I mean, that, that's the Microsoft problem. It's the Microsoft problem, Sam, where they will have good ideas, but they don't have the follow through. Um, or the software talent, so it's like so much of the Surface stuff, cool ideas. I, I like them a lot, but then they'll put the slowest chip in them, you know, or they'll do something that makes us like be like, why, why would anybody buy this? So, Dev, I was going to say, you, you must have been at that, um, that Microsoft uh, event
2: where they announced the Surface Duo, and there was another device they announced then, the Surface Neo, which was like a mini laptop, and that thing, I've been, wait- I was waiting so patiently to like. To try that thing out and then it never materialized and then talking about windows you know windows 10x which was like you know an operating system designed around devices with dual screens just you know that got canceled and you know that really changed the the trajectory for those type of devices
1: i think that really got folded if you guys go back and read my way too long windows 11 review but windows 10x is, is essentially got turned into Windows 11. Like, that's a, basically what happened there. But I agree with you, Sam. The Surface Neo looked really cool. Microsoft just, like, slowly killed it off because I think the Duo did so badly. But this may be another example of Microsoft, like, you know, swinging for where the puck is, where they're thinking foldable phones are going to be a big deal. But maybe they would have been better off not trying to chase phones because they've never been good at phones um, and trying to give us, like, a small, pocketable, um, basically, Windows tablet. You know, the Neo could be a really cool Windows tablet or a mini laptop when it needs to be. Such a cool concept. And now what we're seeing is rumors that Apple's thinking of um, whatever their first foldable is going to be, it could be something like the iPad mini that folds. And that is essentially what the Neo was. So again, Microsoft, uh, you know, they love to create these visions of a digital journal, like the Courier, ten years ago.
2: I was gonna say it's like it's so weird to see that cycle come around again because we had the Courier way back in the day, which was basically the like
1: earliest concept version of the the Surface Duo. I'm I'm so annoyed. Don't make me think about like all the things Microsoft has messed up. Okay, anything around foldables? Because I think we should also talk about 5G, which actually launched and uh, is a thing, but that was also kind of rocky too, right?
0: So I just want to say I I like the small foldable form factor actually a lot more. I think that the bringing, I was not expecting, I don't know that I was expecting 2019 for Motorola to bring back the Razer Flip with a flexible display. I mean, I was very disappointed by the first few iterations of it, but that style, I mean, I think Samsung's done it better perhaps. I am now just waiting to see how Google does it. I also want to say that I think Google did a pretty good job with the Pixel Fold this year. I I gave a lot of props to people I see out in the real world using it. So, but yes, five G. So so I I threw this in as a topic or or something that I've observed change since you know twenty nineteen. I would tell you this when I was uh you know hiding under the blankets recording this episode on uh, uh, you know for our relaunch, I still have faith in five G.
1: You based, that's really I all still you was can like, have is faith in wireless yeah. Perception. I was like,
0: it's coming, well, it's coming, well, yo. Hold on,
2: hold on. <laughs> what does that even mean? You you have you have faith in like wireless transmission?
0: God damn you, Sam! Yeah, <laughs> I bought into the hype. I think is what I. It's probably a bit more accurate. I was like, yeah, you know, it's gonna be so fast. It's gonna be great. Everything's gonna be millimeter wave. And then here we are, 2023. You know, I was like, give it till 2020 for them to launch the first few ones, and then they did at the like Olympics in Korea or whatever. And then like. Uh, Now here we are. Sub six is the most prevalent millimeter wave. Who, and then also it's mid band is the other most prevalent one because again the waves are just stronger. So I don't know. I just feel like in the in the years since five G has just been a bit of a letdown to me. We have it is here. I mean, sure, sure,
1: Lynn. I have been covering five G stuff since 2012, The first time I went to Mobile World 2012? Congress 2012? Okay, I'm okay. sorry uh-huh. twenty twelve. Uh, since the first time I went to Mobile World Congress, and uh, listen, it's it's been a long, slow road to there. But uh, you're right. We, we got to point out some of these things, right? Like sub six, or uh, the lower, lower, you know, um, lower bandwidth there, or lower band. But those are that's essentially like slightly faster four G LTE. Like, that's what a lot of those speeds are. Ultra wideband, um, you know, the higher end stuff is what is really fast. I will say. That's
0: millimeter wave. Yeah, that's
1: millimeter wave. Um, where I, I live outside of Atlanta, which uh, Atlanta itself was a big Verizon millimeter wave uh, area. But even in the suburbs, I am now getting, you know, 5G ultra wideband. Like, when I'm sitting in parking lots and doing stuff. That's also how I was able to test. Where's your carrier? It's Verizon, it's that's Verizon. Why. and okay, that, that may you. be why. But yeah, not every carrier is offering it. Um, it's sporadically available. But if you are in the sweet spot and they're slowly getting there, that's how I was able to play the PlayStation Portal uh, in a parking lot because it was like decently fast enough. Um, so some things are getting better. And I will say for a lot of people, just like having a video chat, right? Having a FaceTime video chat is more capable now, uh, even if you're not on millimeter wave. So it's slowly getting better. It's not like life changing, right?
0: I never thought I would see the day I hear DaVinci defending 5G. But go ahead, Sam.
1: I think that that's, like, one of the hard parts is that, like, there's so many, like,
2: big tentpole, like, concepts, technologies, like AI, that, you know, there's this huge promise of, hey, it's going to change your life, and it's going to change everything. And then you got to be – it's really important to be more realistic about the actual realities of what that is. And so – I just did a quick Google search. Mobile data speeds in July 2019 were about 27 Mbps. Uh, And now we're talking upwards of 100 Mbps, 150 Mbps. And so in five years, that's a pretty huge increase in terms of just like, hey, like you said, you want to do FaceTime calls. You want to watch videos on the go. Maybe stream something from the, the cloud or something. And so does that change your life? necessarily no but it makes it easier to do the things that you like to do when you're not at home um and so and and there's also you know more edge cases in that like hey if you are at a crowded like uh stadium you know the carriers are using millimeter wave 5g so that you can actually make a call or order a drink to your seat or something like that and i think this is kind of like the the maturation of like society as a whole where as like the technologies that we're getting aren't as like there's no more We're going from a horse to a car moment, right? Or we're going from, you know, not having power to electricity or something like that. You know, we're not getting those like massive changes, but everything is more incremental and things are, you know, you have to pay attention to how these things progress over time Although i
1: will say the the rise of ai does seem like what it's like uh, replacing your horse with a car moment like when and when done well like it is like blowing minds for that you know for that reason for our listeners i would recommend one thing i like to do is download the speed test app on your phone and whenever you're just walking around your neighborhood and you see like oh you're you're in 5g uwb in in like a higher end 5g area just run your speed test see how it looks see like see how things are changing and do that regularly yeah because it's you will notice like things are getting better yeah
0: as a caveat i will say that uh one of the reasons i still don't have that is because my carrier is t-mobile and t-mobile you know doesn't have that build out so if you're in verizon yes and that's the other part of what i'm saying as like the 5g promise only one carrier in the U.S. has really implemented it. I mean, AT&T is also mid-band and sub-six, uh, as as is T-Mobile/Sprint.
1: slash um, uh, But Sherlyn, all of T-Mobile's ads say it has the largest five G yes, network. Yes, because in the country, that's what I'm talking so. about.
0: That's why I'm talking. I'm like pissed off, right? Anyway, um, to to Sam, something Sam said though that uh, ping me uh, like remind me of something. Also, he said, uh, Sam, you mentioned something about incremental increases, uh, like over time, as opposed to like one big generational leap each time. And um, I'm seeing that trend. And I also didn't think I would expect expect to see this maybe back in 2019 uh in in software updates for like platforms like android we're not seeing android do a big generational leap every new version we're now seeing like pixel feature drop or like android feature drop uh every quarterly instead of uh you know annually and then apple seems to still be sticking to like annual updates but i feel like that might change i don't know um, but I think it's fine, and I, I really think it's okay to like go to a, a more like frequently. That's
1: actually how software should be updated. Exactly. It's Just like when when something breaks, like you shouldn't have to wait till next year to get to get new stuff. We should probably mention a couple of other things just to because we gotta we gotta move on from this whole thing. One thing I want to mention real quick too is hey, shortly after we started doing the podcast, we all had to go into lockdown, and we started making the podcast remotely. And I do think the COVID nineteen pandemic has like reshifted the way people work uh work from home has become a big topic uh, hybrid work where people will work from home sometimes and then go into the office remote work is all like all like a big thing um that's changed a lot hasn't it like the pc industry had a big wave of uh purchases because of that people needed more computers in their homes or newer computers like in, there was a time when you yeah. couldn't
3: get a webcam for get a webcam. basically all of 2020
1: couldn't get like a decent computer sometimes too like uh that was all changing because a lot of office workers specifically knowledge workers because frontline workers still had to go to work amid the pandemic and that that was just a terrible time uh but knowledge workers at least like were able to shift a lot of their work remotely and i think that's also reshape the way people think of their work lives um i was a freelancer for a long time you know i I left an office job to come to new york to write about technology and i was a freelancer for over a year but i also learned like man i love being able to just go anywhere or do like work from the park or work from home and not being trapped in an office and i think the pandemic time at least um showed a lot of people that, oh, there are other ways to work. It showed other company it showed companies that there are other ways to manage your employees too, even though a lot of them seem to be trying to step away from that. But I do think it's worth calling out like that was a big societal shift because you don't you don't have this sort of like awakening among employees or among even companies, you know, without like the world forcing them to change somehow.
3: And for about a year now we've been talking about RTO, return to office my entirely non-expert opinion is that we are just at the 50% mark. We're at the halfway point of talking about whether or not companies are going to go fully remote or not. I think it's mostly because so many of these companies are still locked into their real estate obligations.
1: I, I think that's a lot of it. I'm, I'm right now sitting in uh, Yahoo's office in New York City. We used to have uh, three floors now we have one floor and everybody is like crammed in. So I think there's a lot of like consolidation happening, but also it's the flexibility. I think a lot of companies are now seeing like workers demand a certain amount of flexibility because a lot of work can be done remotely or your work can be done and then you can go home and take care of kids or something. So it's a different way of living that I think, um, and it was worth calling out and is also enabled by a lot of tech too. So
2: for sure. I I was going to say like the pandemic forced us as a society to realize how many jobs could be done remotely because they didn't have a choice, and now we're in that second phase of the thing. It's like how many jobs should be done remotely.
0: Really quick, when you mentioned Yahoo, I just want to point out that Yahoo's our overall business owner. Like they, Yahoo and Gadgets part of Yahoo. There you go. Just in case I confused you as to why the Avengers casually camping out at the Yahoo office.
1: Real quick, a couple other things we wanted to mention. Um, there were there are also some like major changes in the way the PC industry itself is working. Like Apple Apple shifted away from Intel's chips and toward its own hardware, which I think in itself was not too surprising because they've been making chips for the iPhone and iPad forever. Makes sense that they pushed that to max. What was surprising is that holy crap, their chips are so fast. And they also did the magical work that Microsoft never seems to be able to do of like reorienting their entire operating system around this new architecture having emulation that works really well for older apps too so when i reviewed the first macbook air with the m1 chip it ran intel like it ran older apps uh through rosetta 2 faster than most laptop pcs you know or most uh, windows pcs so that was surprising that thing also didn't have a fan um, so Apple's chips were just like a huge leap forward in terms of efficiency and also power and what you can expect from a laptop chip. Um, I'm still like amazed every time I benchmark those things Intel and AMD have slowly caught up, but their solution has basically been, uh, let's pump more power into these chips. Like let's just draw more heat, let's raise clock speeds. And, uh, that is the complete opposite path Apple took by moving to their own mobile chips rather than you know, like big PC sized chip. So that that's notable. And we're also seeing the rise of, like, AI chips and stuff, too. Um, Apple's chips had neural units, had neural processing units, which powered a lot of the AI stuff. Intel is finally releasing their Meteor Lake chips this year, which will also have MPUs. AMD did that last year, and they're redoing that this year. We'll talk a little bit about that. So the entire, like, piece of market is kind of shifting a bit. But I think Apple just really shook everything up. Apple really kicked Intel in the pants with their chips. And, uh, you know, it's notable. I'm I'm still shocked at like how well those computers run.
2: I want to touch on that just super quickly because it really highlights the sort of bigger power balance between just x86 and ARM as a whole, and even in terms of just like uh, technology design. We've it was happening before that, but it's really started accelerating recently. Where we have we're going to start designing devices for mobile first, and having the you know maybe the desktop systems take a back seat. And so that's that that that's been, uh, you know, a definite shift that we've seen uh, in recent times.
1: I mean, it was happening before with, like, Qualcomm, right? Qualcomm would produce chips and put them in Windows laptops. And every time I think of it, I just get so angry. Because every one of those computers, I just want to throw out the window. Right, Sherlyn? You've reviewed some of those.
0: It's literally the thing I was about to interrupt to say, which is that, like, I, I enjoy I have kind of... In a sick way, I enjoy watching Qualcomm disappear um, into the background. If 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 anything, because we've also concurrently seen uh, companies like Apple and Google and Samsung all grow uh, to rely on their own chips more in the smartphone side of things, and that's been weirdly uh, really satisfying. Just just I mean, like you know, nothing wrong with Qualcomm really, but having these companies be able to own their own verticals a bit has been like also an interesting development in my mind i am also a little bit pissed about the whole windows on snapdragon promise not coming true
1: i'm still i'm still so mad at that go go read some of lens reviews of the surface pro x go read my review of the surface pro what was it the nine wherever the last one was that was 5g which was such a freaking lie yeah
2: Uh, oh of course you know now we got to revisit this topic because now qualcomm has their new orion core processor and so you know that sh- Shut up, that could change things. Maybe, no, maybe no, not. No, <laughs> they do this
1: every. They do this every year. They're like, our next chipset with all these features, are going to change everything. And I'm like, I don't, I can't believe you, even Qualcomm. You've lied to me <laughs> too many times. Um, Sherlyn, is there anything you want to call out in terms of accessibility changes? Because we've seen things like the game controllers from uh, Xbox and you know Pl- PlayStation hit. So those are interesting.
0: I just want to say that I, I think in-, in 2019 again. At the start, I just I didn't was I wasn't aware I was going to start focusing on accessibility coverage. I just didn't know. Um, so once I started, though, uh, not to say that I'm the cause of anything. I just think that most company, more and more companies have been more and more aware of the need for in- inclusive design of uh, more assistive tech, and so we've been seeing a lot more uh, developments. I mean, Apple's always kind of been at the forefront, always you know, building some of its software out to make sure it's inclusive and accessible. But I'm seeing more companies... Like, I mean, Microsoft has, becoming, is, has been a lot louder about its uh, accessibility efforts. And Google has then followed suit. And you've got then the trickle-down effect of companies like Amazon and other other companies talking about their accessibility efforts. I think that's going to be a good thing overall. And it's been very heartening for me to see and report on over the years. Excellent,
1: excellent. Yeah, and I mean... I don't think that's slowing down is the thing too. I think companies are finally paying attention to accessibility and noticing that the there are more journalists who are also focusing on these products too and getting their voices out there. and I think that's that's super important because they're showing like different different sorts of people are using this technology and needs to be it needs to be inclusive. like that's the ultimate thing. like tech gets better if it brings everybody in. I want to mention some uh, we've had some really great guests on. So I want to redirect you listeners to some that you may have missed. Um, Sherlyn, you had a great episode with Dr. Nerdlove.
0: No, I mean, that was a fun episode that had, like, nothing really to do with gadgets. We were all just, like, having a holiday situation where, like, you know, it felt like people around us.
1: He is great with advice. I, like, I've always liked the advice columnist. I think he is a good, like person for younger generations that's not that's not like um, you know the oh, who are the older ones like there are people that have been in newspapers forever you know but I think he is he is a cool dude um we talked with Michio Kaku who is a physicist and uh, you know professor that I've been reading his work since I was in high school that was a fun chat but I also want to shout out like we had some really great interviews with folks like Bill Nye Bill Nye the science guy Sherilyn that
0: was I my favorite you... I'm sorry. This is my yeah, favorite episode. It was
1: so good. Even though Bill Nye's internet uh, was not working so well. So we had to like fight that. We were on the live stream helping him troubleshoot his internet uh, at the same time. Um, it was a whole thing. But first of all, Sherlin, you brought in Bill Nye as a guest. So good, good job. Congrats.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no, uh, I just, it still lives on our YouTube. If y'all ever want to go back and look it up, Sam, I don't know if you were working with Engadget at the time, but it was like one of my most exciting moments in this career ever. And Bill Nye had a moment where he just pauses and and he's like answering a question midway through the question. He goes, and so if we're able to do all this, Sherlyn. Sure, and I was like, oh, my God. He said my name. You can watch back on the live stream on the video how my face, like, my, my, my face just froze.
1: You wrote anyway. up a lot of that stuff, Sherlyn, in a piece called uh, Bill, Bill Nye's Pissed Off or something like that. So that was, I think the main takeaway from that interview is like, he is, he is so sick of this shit. Like he is so sick of uh, the, the oil industry and politicians and people kind of like denying climate change and not doing anything about it. So here, here's just a tidbit. Here's a clip of Bill Nye talking about why he thinks climate change is such an important topic right now. But everybody, we have to stop burning fossil fuels. This is not rocket Mm -hmm. This is, we just have to stop this. And so... Uh, I just point out to everybody that the same places where we are extracting oil and natural gas are the same areas in North America where we have huge wind resources and uh, solar resources. My goodness, you know. Yeah. A, a dear friend of mine went to the University of Nebraska, and even now, uh, 40 years later, she just curses the wind. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it just blows all the time so
2: let's yeah. use it come on yeah yeah and then people say well we don't have any way to store it well let's figure one out okay
0: yeah
1: we also talked with Anne Droyan, the wife of carl sagan and she you know she did a lot of work with him she co-wrote cosmos with him i believe we talked with her around a new series that she's kicking off and um I think she has also a lot to say about the state of the world and why it's important that we're focusing on topics like climate change. That's what
0: inspires me because it gives me the sense that we can do this, Mm -hmm. that we have what it takes, that there are those among us capable of such discipline and, and vision and understanding and strength and unselfishness that we can get we can get through this period of our technological adolescence when we have been given very powerful toys to play with, mm-hmm. but we've yet to adopt the, the wisdom and to internalize the wisdom necessary uh, for anyone who would, who would toy with such powers.
1: So that clip, um, you know, she was talking about, like, our capability for greatness and to do things. Um, We could read that into AI. We could read that into the tech we can use to hopefully help solve climate change or at least help prevent things from getting worse. So that was a great chat. And there's going to be a little clip from her later on that I think is going to wrap up, like, why I think that was such a fun, hopeful conversation. Those are some of our favorite guests. Um, Go back. Check it out. If you subscribe to our feed, you can just access them pretty easily. The live streams are all available on our YouTube channel. And yeah, Trillin, any thoughts on all this?
0: I mean, I think I, what I like also about having done this podcast and all these different interviews that we've done over the years, um, there's quite a breadth of things we've been able to do. We've had a lot of fun. We've had a live stream. I really miss it. We, I, I, just, I never imagined all the different ways we could go, all the different topics we could cover. So if there's any, I think if you listening right now, if there's any episode you really liked that we didn't bring up, Or if you have any, like, what was your favorite thing that changed in the last, you know, since fall of 2019, definitely send it to us, podcastingadget.com.
1: Sam, thank you so much for joining us on this chat. Where can people find you online these days? Absolutely. Uh, As always, you can find me on
2: engadget.com and on the site that shall be named at Sam Rutherford.
1: Let's move on to some other news. Literally, the day after our last recording um there was some friday news i'm sure you all heard about it we covered it in gadget but sam altman was fired from open ai by the board so let me let me just quickly move through those beats uh, sam altman was fired uh one of his co-founders followed him there was a lot of drama over the weekend over what was happening because it was very unclear um by you know uh, open ai's board even picked on um they picked a ceo to replace him well they They brought over the CTO from OpenAI as interim CEO. They brought in one of the co-founders of Twitch to eventually be the CEO. Um, There's a lot of drama. Uh, Microsoft, apparently, Tati Nadella in particular, was surprised by this news, like all of us, and was very pissed and was making some very public overtures. As of the next week, Nadella had invited Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, or the former CEO, to join Microsoft and had invited a lot of people from OpenAI to do that as well. Ultimately, what happened was uh, Sam Altman was reinstated as the CEO of OpenAI. Um, The people that followed him, uh, Brockman, I believe, uh, is back in his role. The board has been reshifted. Notably, there are no longer any women on the OpenAI board. And among the people on the early board, those were the folks trying to push him out. The information we have around why they were doing that is kind of unclear. The board said that they couldn't trust what he was saying. There are reports that like Sam Altman was basically shoved out of Y Combinator 2 for basically self-dealing for other things too. So like there's a lot going on that we don't know. But the weird thing is, fast forward a week and essentially Sam Altman's back in OpenAI. Microsoft is now even tighter knit to OpenAI because uh, recently they announced that they're joining the board in a non-voting role. And uh, essentially what all this means is that a lot of the voices at OpenAI that could push back against what Sam Altman was doing are gone. Like, they're, they're no longer part of the board. Um, Sam, it's a weird thing because OpenAI, I don't know if you remember this, Charlene. It started as a nonprofit organization co-founded by Sam Altman, Elon Musk, a whole bunch of folks to stop bad AI. Like, that was their whole goal, to stop bad AGI. And it was a nonprofit. They, they formed a for-profit arm that was, like, profit-capped so they could only make so much, uh, you know, a certain amount of money. That is what ended up licensing ChatGPT and other things to, like, Microsoft. Microsoft invested a lot Is a minority-stake investor in OpenAI. They have one of the weirdest corporate diagrams I have ever seen. But basically, OpenAI was always supposed to be a nonprofit that's that's against the, like, super hyper-capitalist proliferation of AI. But it seems like Sam Altman, that's what he was doing. And people were pissed about that. Do you have any thoughts about, like, this whole thing at this point? I just...
0: I just found it funny that yesterday, December 6th, a Business Insider report came out uh, that said OpenAI employees really, really did not want to go work for Microsoft and that during uh, the chaos after Sam Altman was uh, ousted, uh, Microsoft offered to hire the CEO and its entire workforce and that insiders now say it was a bluff that worked
1: that was definitely then, bluff, yeah
0: but but one of the quotes that uh, one of our coworkers uh, mentioned in our uh, little, like team slack in discussing this article was that quote in even though we have a partnership with microsoft Internally, we have no respect for their talent bar, apparently a current OpenAI employee told Business Insider.
1: And they would have um, lost a lot of money see right, if they went over to the Microsoft? They would team.
0: have. Abandoning OpenAI would have meant losing out on lucrative pay equity and a rich tender offer, according to the article as well. So there's just a lot going on there. I think there's a lot of um, Silicon Valley sort of discourse around OpenAI, Microsoft, and all of that stuff that is you know, amusing from a distance. To me, um, I do think that we're watching, yes, like what was meant to be sort of this uh, altruistic or at least this uh, nonprofit uh, organization become the way it has um, is is kind of intriguing to watch, but not unexpected, if that makes sense. It's
1: kind of a defining um, moment for AI, yeah. too, because like the thing about open AI is like... The people fighting against the proliferation of AI are basically doomers. They're basically the people thinking that AGI or, you know, artificial general intelligence could destroy humanity. So they want to build it first so they could control it. Uh, there aren't really like any sane people. There aren't people who are like, oh, this could be an interesting thing, but let's just take a step back. There's very two extremes. There's people who want to push AI as fast as possible to make as much money. And there are the people who want to keep it back a little bit because they're worried AI will destroy the world. There's no like middle ground. At OpenAI, which is a weird, I don't know, just a weird position for a company. But anyway, now Sam Altman is Time's uh, CEO of the Year, after all that drama. So, great, 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 great. Uh, Good job good job um but yeah we it, it is a weird thing that we weren't able to uh, this is news that has happened in the past two weeks we, we could cover, cover it, it. As it was um, but if you want to relive the drama with me uh, i ended up posting this week in tech um right after you know, that that whole weekend like as this was all going on so if you want to hear me uh, alex lindsay paris martineau and uh, anthony ha who's a guest on this show if you want to hear us talk about just what it was like to be <laughs> following tech news that weekend we even uh we actually kept that show going for three hours because there was an 8 p.m deadline to see if the board would like come to an agreement with sam altman so we kind of just sat there and wait to like see if we could report live news didn't end up happening uh, but it was a fun conversation so you can relive that whole drama there with us speaking of ai stuff by the way um google had a big thing right Sherland?
0: This week, Google announced that it has uh, something called Gemini, which is this answer to chat GPT-4, uh, I believe. And basically, it's like it's 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 come up with basically a name, I guess, uh, for its platform, its AI platform, and, and its model anyway, right? It's, it's this new AI model. Um, and to quote uh, the news release, the company, this is Gemini, is the most capable model we've ever built. It it plans to incorporate uh, Gemini across its product platforms, starting with BARD. Uh, and it will go into uh, Android phones, I believe. Um, it is the result of collaboration between Google's DeepMind and its research divisions. So it has, quote, all the, well, not quote, it has like a bunch of, you know, bells and whistles that, generative AIs have to offer. Uh, Sundar Pichai, in a, in a statement, said that its capabilities are state-of-the-art in nearly every domain. So it's supposed to be, like, this super-advanced model.
1: I mean, the, one interesting thing, um, Andy uh, Andy Tarantola wrote this up at Engadget. Um, this is a multimodal generative uh, AI, like, from the start. So with Bar, they eventually had the ability to drop in an image or something or drop in other things for it to, like, produce uh, queries and this one can accept all sorts of media from the beginning um okay it's, it's going to be very smart so if bard is disappointing to you now maybe it'll get better right
0: it could bard could get better um here's the thing gemini one thing i found quite fun uh, interesting that that and uh, andy pointed out gemini can code as well as reportedly proficient in programming languages like python java c plus plus and go i know all of those but go Actually I don't know Java very well. Um wow. okay. <laughs> but I've I also didn't ask been for Lin, but
1: okay, thanks for sharing. I know.
0: <laughs> lurking, I've been lurking enough in like programmer humor subreddits to know that uh, thinking about AI as coding on your behalf is just a joke right now because the codes that they've come up with have been really dumb um or very implausible. Um, but you know, apparently it can. And it's it clearly it's more versatile. It's clearly be able to like more at least seems from this announcement to be able to do a lot more. So it's like what we just talked about, right? Like AI has come a long way and it's about to go even further. And this is seeming to lay the foundation. So
1: it's also going to be available in three sizes. I think it's worth pointing out there's going to be a nano pro and ultra size of Gemini and nano should be something that fits in like, you know, your your phone, right? On device tasks. Ultra will be something in the cloud powered by dozens, hundreds of GPUs that can do much, much more complex tasks. So this whole market is heating up, yeah?
0: Another thing I wanted to mention about Gemini really quickly is how what does this mean to you listening? Maybe you're a consumer. Well, if you have a Pixel phone, in fact, if you bought the Pixel 8 Pro, Gemini is actually in it. Gemini, uh, sorry, the Pixel 8 Pro is the first smartphone, according to Google, well, yeah, duh, uh, engineered to run Gemini Nano, which is one of those sizes that you mentioned. Um, and it powers features like Summarize in the recorder app, which we did cover uh, when we talked about the Pixel 8 Pro's launch. And it's also rolling out in Smart Reply in Gboard. It will start in WhatsApp. So, you know, when when companies are a little like mysterious with their language and their wording during pre-briefs, you kind of have a sense that something else is coming. So when Google was like, oh yeah, we can't talk about uh, the availability of Summarize in the recorder app yet, but we can demo this to you at this hands-on. I'm like, oh, something else is coming. And this is what was coming. I think, you know, Google wanted to launch Gemini together with all of the other, um areas that it's going to be available including uh, Gemini will also be available in search ads chrome duet ai which is the uh, the i believe the suite of uh g suite type of things where uh, ai gen ai is available and then search generative experience uh is also where Gemini is being experimented right now with according to Google a 40% reduction in latency Uh, alongside improvements in quality.
1: That's a lot of things. And also in other news, we saw a bunch of things uh, from Microsoft. Uh, They announced some upgrades coming to Copilot. It's going to be powered eventually by OpenAI's GPT-4 Turbo, which is a slightly newer version of that model, and also DALI 3. So that's the better image generation. AMD also f- officially announced their Ryzen 8040 chips, which have built-in MPUs. And uh, it- it's notable, we mentioned this before, but AMD last year unveiled the Ryzen 7000 chips. One of those had an MPU built in. The MPU is the AI, you know, little processor. It's the thing that can do the Windows Studio effects, and um, not every processor has them. But now AMD is bringing it to a much larger part of its, uh, you know, portfolio Intel next week is going to be launching its core ultra chips, basically the meteor like chips, which also have MPUs. So next year, you can expect like more laptops are going to have AI processing. AI PC is the new buzzword a lot of these companies are talking about. Um, yeah, it's it's a thing. AI is going everywhere. And you know, Intel has talked about how it's worked together with Audacity and other software makers to implement things, um, features that actually take advantage of AI. So, you know, that's totally happening. Um, even if you're not using generative AI, these companies are definitely thinking of ways to use these uh, capabilities. So keep an eye out, folks. Sherilyn, did you see this news about government spying on our push notifications?
0: I saw. I saw Apple sort of like wouldn't admit it or something, and then but then like somewhere someone did. Yeah, know.
1: Senator Ron Wyden in a letter to the D- Department of Justice was demanding data from Alphabet, uh, uh, Google, basically, and Apple. About the surveillance that governments were doing. So specifically, they're talking about push notifications, which are those you know alerts you get at the you know at the top of your phone or in your like notifications tray. These go through Apple and Google servers and are not like fully encrypted. They're not as secure as the data on your device. And it seems like foreign governments and um, and also the U.S. government have been keeping an eye on this stuff to just track people. Like you can get a lot of information. If you're just looking at somebody's notifications, right? And, uh, yeah, Apple says that they were barred from talking about this by the Department of Defense. Um, so, okay. Uh, yet, yet another shady, way. Shady,
0: shady, shady.
1: Really shady. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that, Shirley? It's just a thing. We're getting more information on this. There is basically just Ron Wyden's letter at this point. But it seems we're going to hear more about the surveillance at some point.
0: I, I, my main takeaway is the same as it's always been when we talk about stuff like that: is that I always just assume I'm being surveilled, and I'm like, all right, I want to check out my dank memes, check out my dank memes. Or I don't know.
1: I mean, well, specifically, uh, this one's like, uh, Charlotte's getting a lot of like, uh, notifications from uh, Grubhub. Is she just like out there, just like ordering delivery every day? What, what is happening with this girl? I don't know.
0: It's 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 really Reddit suggesting things to me all day, every day now. It's just, oh, yet another AITA post that you should read.
1: (laughs) Those are so damn addictive. But yeah, uh, Wyden's letter, he basically asked the Department of Justice to repeal or modify any policies that hindered public discussions of push notification spying, according to Reuters. Um, Apple said that Wyden's uh, letter gave them the opening they needed to share more details about this. And Google, you know, I I believe they are going to list the amount of requests they're getting from from governments and the U.S. government about getting this sort of push notification information. So something's happening. We don't know quite what yet, but hey, yeah, governments are spying on your push notifications. Keep an eye out. Also, in other news, we saw from Mr. Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg that Apple is readying some new iPads, an M3 MacBook Air for early next year, larger iPhones. And new AirPods also coming in 2024. I don't know what he means by larger iPods or iPhones, though. Like, how much larger can we get? Unless we're talking about a foldable iPhone.
0: Maybe larger screens, even larger screens with smaller, but I don't
1: know. I don't know. The rumor, uh, I mentioned this before, but the rumor of, like, eventual uh, an Apple foldable could be something like the the iPad mini, which is a 7-incher, I believe. Like a set, It's a pretty, like, a device around 7 inches, certainly slightly bigger than the iPhone Pro Max. So... We will see some stuff, but basically expect some new hardware from Apple next year. I, th- I know people have been waiting for the M3 MacBook Air, so I still think the M2 model is a really good deal. If you see any sales on it, go for it. Um, but that M3 one will have some new capabilities, too, at least from what we've seen the M3 MacBook Pro. Uh, there was also something Apple-related you wanted to shout out, too, right, Sherlyn?
0: Yeah. So, uh, last Sunday, uh, December 3rd, was the International Day of, the Persons, uh, of Persons with Disabilities, and uh, slightly ahead of that, so a couple of days before that, Google, uh, Google, Apple released a new video, like it always does uh, around this time this year. Uh, a, a short film, and this one highlighted its, uh, you know, new accessibility feature called Personal Voice, as well as another new feature called Live Speech. Um, and this video really has a um, sort of "Where the Wild Things Are" vibe to it, kind of. It's it's um, not to, uh, it's not much of a spoiler. It's a short video, but uh, it is a person uh that is narrating a story or reading a bedtime story to a kid and this person is not using their own voice to do it but they're using their personal voice uh and using the iphone's live speech tool to narrate and converse with this child but at the start of the show you don't know uh, the start of the film you don't actually know that it, that's what's happening you're just seeing this you know children's story play out with the narration in the background this film was actually directed by taika waititi pretty cool. I liked it a lot. Um, and I also appreciate, I think every time Apple has done this in the past, um, it does get a lot of eyes. It catches a lot of attention, gets a lot of um, you know people talking about some of these accessibility features. And this one to me was pretty moving. It's just a very sweet story, directed very well, beautiful visuals. And in tandem too, Apple released the children's storybook um through apple books as an ebook and it's available for free so if you have an iphone at all or any ios device really just go get it it's a free ebook it's got beautiful illustrations you might as well uh you can read it to children if you want you can keep it around for yourself um but i thought that was a fun like little piece of news that broke last week
1: Can you talk about what the personal noise stuff or personal voice stuff actually is
0: So, personal voice is a feature where, uh, you can use, you know, uh, an iOS seventeen, iPadOS seventeen, or macOS Sonoma device with Apple Silicon, um, to save a copy of your voice. Um, and this, you know, is more for for people who are at risk of permanent voice loss, uh, which can happen with conditions like ALS, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, or vocal cord paralysis. Um, you can record a copy of your voice while you're able. And then use it to converse with people so that you're not using a tool like live speech, for example, which like you can type words into it and it can read it out for you. Right. Uh, When you're using that currently, it tends to be one of a few generic computerized voices. It's not your own voice. So when you're when you're suffering from a condition like that or when you're going through a condition like that, you're already going through so much losing your voice can feel really like losing yet another part of your identity or another part of yourself. Like you already feel like your entire body is turning against you, I think. Why now just to feel like another part of you is slipping away can really feel very, you know, just traumatic actually. So I think, you know, having this feature and this ability to save your voice is really a nice touch. So I wrote an article um, right after Apple's video went up, uh, just kind of walking through the process of how to set it up. And also just my impressions of the voice overall. In fact, uh, what do you think of me using my voice to say something for this podcast?
1: Go for it. Go for it. Let's hear what Sherlyn's personal voice sounds like from her iPhone.
0: Hello, Devendra and Ben. I am hungry. I am taking a poop.
1: Just like the real Sherlyn.
0: Bloody hell, y'all. I am a monster. Okay, last one. And that's over. Okay, I'm back. Um, I mean, you can probably tell. It's, it sounds very, it sounds more like me for sure. Like if you if you heard that, you would think it's me, but like 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 awkward st- stilted me. Um, it took me about twenty minutes to record everything, and then th- took the phone several hours um, to produce the voice. Which is all happening on device, so you can hopefully assure that your voice, if you have your voice print somewhere as your sign in or something, um, it should be harder to try to you know attack or get that. Yeah. But yeah, so
1: it's it's building an AI model exactly. of your voice in those hours that's what's happening on device
0: neural net training uh and and creating the models to to use your voice as a language or a voice model for the live speech tool so if you're curious i mean it's available to anyone on ios you don't need to be at risk of voice loss to set it up right so if you want to like i did you can um well i think it's a nice touch so it's, it's really fun to see um other than that though, for, for other stuff that I've been working on this week, I've been, you know, just heads down on end of year stuff, by the way. Um, and I need people to help me with my work. And this is one time people can actually help me with my work. If you have any like ideas on who are the big winners and losers in tech this year, you send them to me at podcast or Sherlyn at engadget.com. Thank you.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It's cool to hear robot Sherlin, at least working in real time. It also goes to like what we were talking when we talk about like Apple working really well with accessibility stuff. Um This is another one, I think. Another one of those things I think is like really genuinely useful to people. So cool to see uh i want to show a couple of things i'm working on uh, i'm in town right now i'm in new york doing some ces meetings um Woo! also have some laptop reviews in the works ahead of ces so we're all just like dealing with end of year stuff we're dealing with ces prep thankfully ces is the second week of january or at least a little later it's not like immediately january 2nd or 3rd like it used to be so we have a little bit of breathing time after you know new years but yeah folks we are gearing up for that also, like, in in part of my brain, too, I'm also planning for Sundance, which is going to be happening pretty much right after CES. So that's going to be a fun time. It's that time of year. You know, we're thinking about where we've been and next. So, yeah, Gatch.com. Let us know, folks, if there's anything else, like, you are, I don't know, looking forward to or any other highlights that you've, you, you've had from the year. Lynn, are there any pop culture picks for us this week?
0: Yeah. So there's uh, three sort of shouts that are not necessarily picks and then one definite pick. So, um I I saw Napoleon, the movie. It was fine. If you want to watch it go, it's fine. It's just fine. Um, And then this piece of news uh, reminded me, this piece, piece of news that happened this week reminded me of something else that I saw. So Netflix has renewed the Squid Game reality show for a second season. I saw the reality show, like the first few episodes of it, it was disgusting. I could not. It's Um, really bad. Yeah. It's just disgusting because I'm not into like sensory, like sounds, like there's an episode, like one of the challenges, they have to lick a thing and there's just a lot of people licking a thing. And I'm just like, gross, gross, gross. So I didn't enjoy it as much as the actual TV show. The reality show is just not as fun. The people suck. You just don't like the people.
1: Also, it's, it, it is a capitalist-like game show through – But brought you know, to the real world and not
0: fictionalized.
1: Squid Games was doing about how bad yeah. that stuff yeah. is. It's it's weird. So so yeah. And then
0: one more show I saw – Um, I don't know if some of you have followed my Instagram. You might notice that uh, Chris Velasco, our former Engadget co-workers and current persona in Angreta, um, he was in town and we caught up and he suggested that me and some of our friends we were hanging out with – watch this movie called Love on a Leash and if you've seen The Room you know what to expect it's basically a really crap movie that i thought for the most part i thought it was like this uh, some some high school kids film project or something but it is so bad in a way that like is quite enjoyable if you're with some friends and you're ready to be like what is logic um enjoy that it's really great and then finally my actual pick um, is I discovered something on Hulu recently. I don't know if you've heard of this show, the Devendra. Dimension 404.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so it's it's got like quite a like it's an episodic, almost anthologic kind of a show. Like it's a mix, I would describe it as a mix of like Twilight Zone meets black mirror almost. Um, every episode is a tight, like, I don't know, I want to say 40 something minutes. Uh, the first episode is about a dating service. Uh, it stars Joel McHale. Um, and then there's other episodes where it includes, um, people like Patton Oswalt's in there. Um, Sarah Hyland is in one of the episodes as well. Just a lot of like a really shockingly, uh, A-list cast actually. Oh, maybe not A-list, maybe like B or C-list, but you know, well-known names. Um, and they're they're like, you know, not super highly produced to the point of like Black Mirror, but every episode has a very interesting premise and sits squarely within Engadget's scope of like, you know, the word 404 comes from that error, 404 not found, right? So it is all about sort of that sort of stuff, like tech related mishaps and interesting tales. So if you're looking for that, there you go. I I, I quite enjoyed it, I would say.
1: That's cool. Thank you for sharing, Sherlin. I got a couple of things. And I actually think you will like all of them. So I had Sherlin in mind for this, but also our listeners. I think everybody will enjoy this. Uh, the movie May December, which is on Netflix right now, I think is one of my favorite films of the year. It's directed by Todd Haynes, stars Natalie Portman and uh, and uh, Julianne Moore. And it's a weird twisty movie, but I like, I like complex dramas. And this is sort of like a retelling of the Mary Kay Letourneau story. The teacher, I believe, or the woman who famously, you know, had had an affair with her student or a child. He was 13 years old. That's child sexual assault. That's what that story was. And that was in the tabloids for a while. Um, This movie is about an actor coming to, you know, somebody who went through that same sort of tabloid drama uh, because they're going to play her in a movie. Uh, Julianne Moore is the actual, you know, person who went through the drama. And Natalie Portman's the actor who's trying to play her. Um, It is a weird, twisty movie that kind of explores what what the impact of that would be on relationship but you know if um if that child and that adult got married and had a whole family what is that relationship dynamic like what is it kind of what does it mean um and also who is the sort of person who would even do this thing how do they justify it to themselves it is a twisty movie it's really funny at times but also really like I don't know, just, like, really heartfelt, too. Like, it is a lot. And I will also shout out uh, Mr. Charles Melton, who I think most people will know him from Riverdale. He was, like, one of the hot young jocks who were sometimes a villain in Riverdale. He plays, basically, the victim in in this story, the person who was a 13-year-old who was assaulted by a 35-year-old and has basically grown up and uh, started a family with him. It's a weird movie. But it was also so complex and so interesting. I think as a drama, Shirlin, like also as like just a showcase for acting for Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman and Charles Melton. Like I think you will adore this movie. I've seen it three times now. I cannot stop thinking about it. I saw it with my wife. But my parents also saw it too because I recommended it to them. It is very good. It's on Netflix right now, and I think it's one of the best movies of the year. I will tell you, folks, I have spent basically the past two weeks just mainlining uh, piles of screeners that get sent to my house because I'm a part of a critics uh, circle and I do, you know, podcast reviews for my movie podcast. So there's a lot of stuff. I've seen so much stuff. I'm just giving you a few choice highlights here. Um, But I have basically been in movie watching mode because that's what I do at the end of the year. Another thing I'd recommend to you, Sherwin, is Godzilla Minus One. Have you heard about this? This no, but this new, is
0: more up my alley, it sounds this is,
1: like. I mean, <laughs> I think they're both up your alley. But this is the new uh, Toho, uh, you know, Japanese Godzilla film that's set right at the tail end of World War II. Um, it's, it's sort of like one of the first appearances of Godzilla because it's technically set before the first movie, before the first Gojira movie. It is an incredibly well-made disaster movie focusing on a kamikaze pilot who did not go through his mission. He has a bit of, like, survivor's guilt, but also godzilla appears and messes stuff up and it's also about a society trying to reconcile with the ending of the war and you know what the government forced a lot of citizens to do it's it's a really great film really great large-scale action also godzilla is terrifying in this one um so it's not like one of the fun campy godzillas it is very much um kind of a soap opera at times but also really really well done so godzilla minus one that's in theaters right now. And something a little different for you, Shirlin, is um, you want a little rom-com? You want a little, want a little fun time? I would recommend Colin from Accounts for you. This is an Australian romantic comedy. It's streaming right now on Paramount Plus. Um okay. kind of a weird thing. Oh
0: no, not Paramount Plus. It's Paramount
1: Plus. So I don't know if you have that. But it is it's similar to like Catastrophe and a lot of the like more irreverent romantic comedies uh, that came out recently about people who aren't so great but inexplicably end up like, you know, forming some sort of bond. It basically starts with um, a woman flashing a guy while she's walking down the street. He gets distracted. He runs over a dog and they kind of take responsibility. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I guess we sort of, because of our actions, this poor dog has been hurt. And that is, that is the beginning. They take the dog to the vet and they're sort of like bonded together because they decide, okay, they're not going to put this thing down. They're going to spend a lot of money to put this doggy, you know, on on wheels basically and to take care of him and that is the beginning of this rom-com it's a very rom it's a very like sitcom-y setup um but you know the girl is like a 29 year old um medical student she's working in a hospital the guy is like 40 something running a brewery probably different phases of their lives but they they they're similarly kind of lost in having relationship issues i think it's really funny It's really, um, it can be really crass at times. So I think Trillin will enjoy that too. There There is poop humor. There is like a lot of like very explicit stuff as Australians love to do. But I also think it's really sweet at times too and genuinely funny. So that's Colin from Accounts. And the title will be um, explained to you if you watch the first episode. I won't spoil what that is. But it's really good. It's really funny. And, uh, you know, you want to take a little vacation to Australia.
0: Where in Australia? Melbourne, Sydney?
1: Or- it's set in Sydney. It looks like, honestly, any other city. But um, the weather looks very nice. Like, right now, we're dealing with winter temperatures. So it's like a nice little vacation to me. I love it. Yeah. So I think you'll I enjoy it. Trillin. And also, there's dog. There's a cute dog. Doggy and wheels. It's fun
0: well that's it again for our episode this week thank you for listening our theme music is by game composer dale north our outro music is by our very own terence o'brien this podcast is produced by ben elman you can find davindra online at
1: at Devendra on Mastodon and blue sky and everywhere and i talk about movies at the filmcast at thefilmcast.com
0: if you want to send me your favorite of our podcast moments or my most inappropriate remarks ever or yours, uh, you can send them to me on X because I don't check it anymore. Uh, I'm at Sherlin low there. No, I am. Uh, send me your sincere thoughts on threads. I am at Sherlin's Instagram or just email me at Sherlin at Email us your thoughts and feedback at podcastengadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. You know, as Carl and I wrote earlier, we humans are capable of greatness. We all live in the long shadow of climate change Mm -hmm. and other environmental depredation. But I believe that we can get to a much better future. And I think the key to that is taking what science is telling us to heart, not keeping it as just a collection of amazing facts, that you compartmentalize and experience maybe for a couple of minutes or during a class, but instead a way of seeing absolutely everything.